This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. for Holy Communion, and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. This line at the end of our gospel this morning connects well with how Saul treated David. In our lesson today in 1 Samuel 19, we read of King Saul despising his best warrior. He despised a man God was using to enact the purpose God had for Israel to clear the land of their enemies, to make the land a peaceful place of rest and quietness for his people. All too often in our lives of faith, we also face the challenge of despising, of of being despised even within the church to the point it seems the enemies within are harder to deal with than the enemies outside. In many ways, dealing with the internal enemies that despise, as Saul did, David, and as people despise others in the church, it is most heartbreaking. We have to ask, as I'm sure David asked of Saul, why do we treat each other in this manner? Why do we spend so much time trying to find the specks in the eyes of our brothers and sisters? Why do we do this when the enemies that despise and hate Christ and its church are all around? And we are commanded by God to encounter them with the gospel. In response, we often lock ourselves up. We lock ourselves up into our churches, treating them more like fortresses so that we can treat each other like Saul treated David. All the while, the enemies of the cross run roughshod over us. We do this in part because it's just more comfortable to spend our energy energy contending about frivolous issues in the church than to be uncomfortable through preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel to the lost, those in need of the refuge of Christ in this church. St. Paul reminds us in the pastoral epistles in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And later in Titus 3, 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. This morning in which we give thanks to God for the angels He sends to protect the church and his people and to send messengers as his name. Let us reflect on the point that no matter what happens around us, God protects us as his children eternally. Our first section in our lesson in 1 Samuel 19 verses 1 through 7 is a whirlwind, if you will, of back and forth. It begins with verse 1, And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants, that they should kill David. Up to this point, we knew Saul's evil intent. Such involved Saul 
directly trying to kill David by throwing a spear at him at two different times when David was playing the lyre for him in his presence. And through hoping David would be killed in all of the dangerous combat situations he was commanded to lead. David knew what it meant to be an outcast and despised, yet kept close enough to be trusted with a thousand men to lead into battle for Saul and Israel. In all of this, David still went forth. He still obeyed God to clear the land of their enemies, even though the king hated him. As for him and all of us, we can look to Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12 today that we read earlier. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. A healthy outlook is that God protects us in many ways, even with his angels. As his people, we are precious in his sight, his dear children. He sends us forth in his purpose. We go forth faithfully knowing he holds us up eternally no matter our circumstances. David, up to this point, paints a wonderful picture and is, as an example of godliness even when facing the threats of internal enemies and external enemies. Yes, he knew Saul despised him. He probably knew what was behind all of these dangerous assignments in battle. What Saul was doing and saying against him were things really that were out of David's control. All he could do in a faithful mode of life was to obey where he could obey, to work toward the command of subduing the land to secure peace for God's people. It's the same for us today. As I quoted from the pastoral epistles earlier about staying out of foolish controversies, we should rest in Christ, rest in his protection, in his protection alone to do the work of the ministry regardless of our issues. This is incredibly hard. It's hard to not let internal enemies bring us down to the point we become ineffective to proclaim the gospel. Yet the way of the cross, the, the way David went, was to continue in God's primary mission of spreading his ways throughout the world. As we read in verse 14 of our psalm, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. As I said earlier, we cannot control what others say or do within the church. That is between the person and God. All we are called to do is to love God, to love our neighbors. And yes, as Jesus commanded all of us, even to love our enemies and to pray for our enemies, doing and saying what is right by God's word. Yet it is still hard and sometimes lonely. David paints this aspect of going through his life of faith with internal and outside enemies throughout the Psalms. We are not alone, though. God is present with us through the Holy Spirit. His angels are tasked to protect us. And even with the enemies within, God still provides people that also rise above the pettiness of people like Saul with people like Jonathan. The end of our opening verse states, But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. As we've read in earlier chapters, they were close friends, the closest of friends. 
The next few verses speaks of how Jonathan assured his friend David that he would defend him before his father, that he would mediate for him. Verse 4 records Jonathan's promise in action for David with his father. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? In life, especially when we are facing enemies within the church and outside the church, godly friends, such as a Jonathan, are key. Note that friends in God are meant to always keep high the standard, to hold each other accountable, that we must defend each other before accusers, especially when no sin is involved on the part of the person undergoing attacks. All of us, as God's people, need Jonathan's. A healthy life in Christ involves cultivating godly friendships, Christian friendships. As C.S. Lewis wrote, Is any pleasure on earth as great as a circle of Christian friends by a good fire? Jonathan's kind words bear fruit in verse 6. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan reported this wonderful news to his friend. And David was in the presence of the king as before. Do we as Christians back one another up even when Saul's within attack? Whether we like it or not, controversies and the enemies that come with such are an unfortunate part of the life of the church at times. They are meant for us, though, to grow in total trust in God and his word by the Holy Spirit. Paul faced such challenges as well throughout his ministry, and especially as we read In the epistle for this day in Trinity 15 in Galatians 6, even with some in the Galatian church that were clinging to the non-essential of circumcision, making it so big of a deal that they thought that you could not be saved without it. Paul's command is essential when facing such controversies within. He said, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the God of Israel, Israel of God. No matter what we face, just as David, we are called to cling to Jesus Christ alone, even if life is a whirlwind. Verses 8 through 17 tell the story of how things again went downward for David. This section opens with a constant that faced Israel at this time, that the Philistines attacked, and David went out and fought and dealt with the Philistines a great blow, another victory for Saul and Israel. And as before, we read the following in verse 9, Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat in his house with a spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre. Then, as we read, 
Saul tried to kill David again by throwing a spear at him, which he eluded. The end of this section then speaks of David escaping again. This rage of Saul then went further, trying to use the wife of David, Saul's daughter. Instead of heeding, though, the evil intent of her father, Michal helped David run from this danger to flee. Again, even with the king seeking his death, God protected David with Saul's own family refusing to join him in his sin. David was at the end in terms of his own life and his own standing as a warrior for Israel and for the king. Before these events, David was sent from the king's presence and yet was tolerated enough to be placed over a thousand men to fight battles for the king. Now, he was a total outcast. As with the ups and downs we all face, we are called continually by example and the comforting word of scripture to flee to God and to his godly remnant. With nowhere to go within Saul's kingdom structure as he had before, we read the following in verse 18 of our lesson. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him, and he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. As a faithful man of God, David sought to stay within the authority structure that was given by God. When this failed to the point he could no longer submit to the man and the person of Saul due to the imminent threat of death, David turned to the ultimate source of authority in Israel, God's prophet Samuel. Note that David did not turn into himself through fleeing into the wilderness by running away from it all. First, before the escape that he did do later, he turns to God. He turned to God's spiritual leader for Israel. Samuel's reply to live in the same town as David was unique. Now being cast out of the king's presence and favor, the symbolism here is that David is received by God into the presence of God's prophet to live. Showing David was considered in with God. And Saul was out. For the lives we live in Christ, it's crucial we see our lives within the presence of Jesus Christ in his body, the church, as paramount. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. We are not of this world. Yet we are still called as the church to present Jesus Christ and his gospel to this world around us. The church serves as the outpost, if you will, of refuge for Christians, for us to worship, to rest, to retreat, to gain renewed strength, to operate as the ambassadors of God to a fallen world. Yes, the world will treat us as outcasts. This is part of life. We do not find solace in outside elements. We cannot look to the government, to political order, to social order for our solace. We only find solace in Jesus Christ and his body, the church, counter to all sinful human cultures and institutions. Yes, we're called to submit, but only as long as such submission does not demand that we deny Jesus and to spread his message. The de facto stance of all of us as Christians is as David, 
was with Samuel and the church. Even when encountering Saul's in the church, our only source of comfort and solace is Christ and his church. For every Saul that we encounter, there are many Jonathans and Samuels. We often falsely fret about the Saul's to the point we flee from the church into the wilderness of self-denial. David could have done what many Christians do and think, thinking that Samuel was the one that got him into this mess in the first place with Saul. So why should I flee to him for solace, for comfort? Rather, the point is to stay connected to Christ and his church through his faithful remnant, Jonathan's, Samuel's, worshiping God in his house with the faithful. The victory of God over Saul is seen in the last part of this chapter in a spiritual sense that subdued Saul's murderous intent. It is not through striking him down or striking the messengers of down, down with lightning bolts. It was to subdue them through the power of the Spirit to the point that each group that was sent prophesied by the power of the Spirit. It culminates at the end of this chapter with Saul himself going and being subdued by the Spirit to prophesy for God. The imagery for Saul and his messengers to experience here was that David was under God's care and protection and nothing could stop God. Saul's murderous arrogance is brought low to give God the glory, stripped literally of all semblance of his pride. Again, the way of God overwhelms all of humanity. The easy thing to do from the human side of things would have been to eliminate Saul physically, to take him out. Yet God does not work according to our ways, to our intentions. He shows his power through his word, through his spirit, having even a prideful, arrogant, murderous king submit to him to prophesy. David, in turning to God through fleeing to the Lord's prophet, if you think about it, turned to the faithfulness of a child, to childlike faith. As we read in verse 3 of our gospel today, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Through David fleeing to God's chosen prophet, he went in childlike faith. A mighty warrior, putting his sword aside in deference to the defense of God. Saul, as a tyrant going after those of such faith, represents all that Jesus spoke about in our lesson of those that seek to tempt children to sin or even to reject the little children. In the end, God in his grace brought Saul low, spiritually and physically, to prophesy for God. Our lives are in God's hands, no matter our circumstances. God calls for and cultivates in all of us a childlike faith. He protects us in many ways. As we praise God this day for the angels he has used in the past and he continues to use today to protect us as his church, let us take great courage to contend for the faith against the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
Whether we face enemies within, such as a Saul, or enemies outside, let us rest in the arms of our warrior king, Jesus Christ. He alone subdues the nations, even to the point of turning their murderous designs to give him the glory as he did with Saul. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Amen.